Although keeping costs down is always important, lowering the cost of sales during lean times is more vital than ever. When lowering the cost of sales, you need to consider the impact on both efficiency, how quickly you do your job, as well as effectiveness, how well you do your job. Hear from the med tech experts on today's episode, lowering the cost of sales, how to be impactful during a recession and beyond, as they discuss the things that will help get those costs down without compromising the quality of your throughput. Everything you need to know from the MedTech Business Academy. Well, good. Well, welcome back, everyone, to the MedTechSperts MBA podcast. Uh, today, it's Scott Alexander here with Barbara Strain and Tom Hickey. And um, we were having a really lively conversation right before we hit start. So the producers told us to stop talking so they could hit the button and then we can dive into it. So um, today, what we're going to talk about is um, what's going on in the economy, the headwinds that we're seeing, and the idea that companies may need to reduce their cost of sales, right? How do we sell the same or more stuff with uh, better efficiency? And Barbara, we're going to go right to you because you had uh, some things you wanted to share uh, from how you're thinking about it, particularly coming from, from the background that you've got. Right. So I've been on the um, circuit of very many different presentations at different groups of folks, mainly suppliers, but some of the providers. So in looking at costs, such vast thing, I, I was using my hands a while ago, people thought I was praying, but there's sort of a point where I'm thinking of internally within a manufacturer, supplier, distributor, uh, services organization, how am I actually projecting my current costs? Am I raising them, what the reasons are, uh, that sort of thing. Then there's the second part of the three-legged stool, which is established products. What am I doing with those? You know, I have contracts, I have pricing, that sort of thing, what is happening? And then on the provider side, what are all those effects? So I thought between those three parts, we could probably sort of interject some of those things we're hearing and seeing that could be valuable to each of those verticals. That's help. That's a helpful framework. Tom, what what are your what are some of your starting thoughts? So some of my starting thoughts. Um, kind of bounce off of Barbara's, but on the other side of the equation, because when you look at lowering cost of sales and you're a national sales manager, vice president of sales, you want to look at a couple of things. Number one is where are my marginal areas? For instance, you know, it, it, we often talk about Prado's principle or the 80-20 rule. So look at that 80% where the sales aren't as robust and perhaps there's other ways to reach your market with that. Maybe you take some of those areas and you um, realign your sales team so you can reach some of those areas with telemarketing, or perhaps you look at some of those areas and you look at a, an independent sales rep where they're just getting commissions on you know, sales that are generated. Um, and it doesn't always have to be territory or geography based. If you've got a larger product portfolio and you've got two new products that are really driving the growth of your company, but you've got three or four products that are just somewhat of the older technologies, you know, the old, uh, the workhorse of your product line, perhaps, maybe those are the products that you shift 
to other types of sales channels and then let your innovative products work with your uh, more expensive, higher end sales teams. So there's a couple of ways to slice and dice this that you can get the same type of mileage, but look at fixed cost of, of sales and marketing. I, I think, Tom, those are great ways to think about addressing the cost of sales piece. Um, so I had a, a boss when I was back at Medtronic uh, by the name of Chris Wagner. Chris was a brilliant guy. I love working with him. Um, and also just a great human being, but he would also, he would talk about sales efficiency and sales effectiveness and, uh, right. Effectiveness being how can I do the job? And then efficiency is how easily or how quickly can I do the job? And I think as we're thinking about reducing cost of sales, it's really assuming that we're already effective in doing what we need to do. And I think to your point, Tom, the effectiveness wanes over time, right? As you have products that have been out there for a long time, Barbara, you're making a point around this as well. Products have been out for a long time. People know how to use it, right? And so you don't need to have the same staffing model for something that's been out for a long time um, that you do for the innovative things, right? For these new products that are out there. And in fact, you know, the reality is a lot of times the customers don't want your sales reps in there. Once they know how to use the product, they're, they're good. I, I remember back when I was running a GPO and um, was talking to some interventional cardiologists, we were sourcing stents and they basically said, hey, is there a way for us to demand that we not have the reps come in because they mess up our workflow? We already know how to use these products. Frankly, we know how to use them better than the reps do. Like, what's the value we get there? And I think that just speaks to the point that you're making that, hey, you've already kind of jumped the shark on knowing how to place a stent, a cardiac stent. So like you could change your cost of sales there and focus more on contracting and, and GPO and IDN level uh, agreements or negotiations and not have people in the cath lab and probably do as well, if not better. Yeah, on the provider side, what um, folks in the hospitals really missed right away when COVID hit was some of their sales reps were either uh, let go or don't show up for about a month or whatever. And the hospitals really felt it because the sales reps, depending on what the product was and things, were sort of the conduit to the staff in a way. And they would touch base with the staff a lot and not necessarily to train them, but is everything working all right? You know, what can I do? And then when back orders and things started happening, there was really hardly anybody to talk to. So it's a balance there. But what I wanted to kind of set a picture for, and this mm -hmm. is where the, I know we're talking about, let's reduce, you know, your uh, cost of sales and that sort of thing. What's then translating to the actual product costs along the way? Because what the providers are really looking at, and this is sort of hot off the press stuff, looking at a lot of data, is that the inpatient and ED visits are down, but when patients are in the hospital, it's a longer length of stay. That means three or four things. One is more money's going out the window because we're still getting the same reimbursement regardless of how long that patient's there. So you're going through more supplies, but you're also burning out staff and because of the worker shortage. 
labor costs are then going up because of either bonuses or having to pay more to keep people and overall costs are going up. So the supplier side also needs to look at how can I still sell into these places, whether I'm brand new and now I'm trying to proactively look at my financial planning for bringing something to market and what's the market bearing at this point. So I think that's also a factor that has to be taken into consideration, balancing your support and the pricing you're actually passing on. And that's what I was kind of looking for kind of at the beginning is maybe on the supplier side, if they did sort of that laundry list, like I just said about what's driving my costs as a med tech company and having some sort of uh, dialogue about that. So there's full transparency on both sides when you're coming together to talk about Absolutely, Tom, any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, th th that's really interesting in the sense of uh, on the manufacturing side, what can you do to kick out some of your uh, core costs, right? Reevaluating your supply chain, looking at uh, how are, how's the product moving, you know, looking at some of that root cause in the sense of, you know, what's the manufacturer supply chain doing and how do you make that more efficient? but also where else can you create some savings to maybe reduce the impact of a price increase mm -hmm. or look at some other value adds with that, mm -hmm. right? Um, in a sense of, well, okay, we've got to have a price increase. What else can you bring along with that to perhaps soften that blow to the, to the supply chain folks? You know, and sometimes it could be as easy as changing your packaging. Right. Oh, uh, where where it could be, you know, in the past you've had, you know, boxes of 12, you know, and, you know, could you put them in boxes of 36. Right. And now just by. Sorry to use the phrase thinking out of the box, but I just couldn't resist <laughs> uh, by by looking how at big's the box. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How, how can you create some efficiencies there save mm -hmm. some shipping costs, save some packaging costs, all that kind of thing that, you know, it's a it's a small little change, but it can help maybe instead of having a five or 6% increase, maybe have a two and a half percent price increase. So those are things that you can talk to supply chain about to say, hey, how can we deliver this differently than what we've been doing in the past? Yeah. yeah. Um, years ago, when I was back at Medtronic, um, one of, you know, I focused in on the commercial model. How do we, how do we sell more efficiently and effectively? And um, we had a, uh, we had McKinsey come in, I think it was McKinsey, might've been BCG, but we'll say it with McKinsey. And um, they did an analysis of our cost of sales and it was us and the other big players and the industry. And then they compared us to other industries. And the reality is our cost of sales in healthcare is like two or three times what a comparable company is in another industry. And of course, you know, the, thousands of people listening to the podcast right now are screaming, but we're different, but you're not like, we're really not that different, right? The, the, there, there's certainly, there are some things that we're different about. I don't want to, you know, uh, completely dissuade people from that, but there are two things that we get wrong. So number one, a lot of our decision-making as an industry are getting driven more and more by the financial and operational considerations than the clinical considerations. And, and that's different, right? Because it used to be that Dr. Smith could come in and say, hey, 
I want this widget. And Dr. Jones could say, I want this widget and both got stocked on the shelves. And that time is over, right? If it's not over for your product category, it's coming. And we have more of the MBA of supply chain and finance is stronger and operations are stronger. So we're looking more as an industry, more like your traditional uh, manufacturing, industrials, that sort of thing. The other thing that we get wrong is we think that the only way that Dr. Jones wants to learn about our product is by seeing Randy the rep in the hallways. And this is one of those things that like, I feel like I beat my head against a wall on is that's not the case, right? Dr. Jones cares about your product, cares about how it's going to help her patients, but she wants to do it on her own time. And this is a shift where I think marketing as an, as an industry, we need to strengthen our marketing capabilities to allow Dr. Jones to learn about our products when Randy the rep is not in the room. And this is not to speak disparaging of salespeople, right? It's the guy who's carried the bag, like I, I love my sales folks. But, but the, at the end of the day, we need to understand that over the past several years, everyone's mindset has shifted, right? We were already doing this. We were already doing more research on our own, that sort of thing. But over the past two years, we've seen that change dramatically in our professional lives inside healthcare as much as we have personally. And I think if you want to lower, lower cost of sales, then this is the way to do it. Strengthen your marketing so that you don't have to have such an involved sales process. And oh, by the way, that's a competitive advantage because you're where people want to learn about you. And two, to Barbara's point, and Tommy made it too, you can take some of that reduction in the cost of sales, right? Which is 30%, give or take in our industry and potentially give some of that back in terms of a price uh, concession improve your margins and potentially take mar uh, market share because hospitals are hurting for ways to save money. So I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. You know, I like to rant, but I, uh, those are the things that come to mind. I'll chime in right there because uh, this will be of no surprise since I work for a health research and health economics company. <laughs> one of the things I wrote down coming into this was metrics, right? Mm -hmm. and, and how do you measure success if you're the vice president of sales? You know, and to your point, it used to be, well, how many sales calls have you made a day? You know, or, you know, is your rep in and out of four, you know, uh, cath labs or four ORs, or, you know, during the day? Well, that has completely changed, you know, right? Especially now with fuel prices still hovering around, you know, high $4, $5 a gallon, right? So you're running around doing all that. Um, and to your point, video can be a great way to deliver that message. And, also, I'd add to this is thinking about this whole value-based scenario, right? Because the messaging is different, you know, and I know, Barbara, that fits right into your wheelhouse, but it's, it's how can we, again, create that value and think about what we're doing and how do we get that to the, that information to the stakeholders? Yeah, it's that whole gap analysis that I've talked about over and over again. And you can do that at various levels, either within the supplier organization, you know, what, what's my sweet spot? You know, what is, what can I really focus on that are the top six things that healthcare is focusing on? And if it's not in those top six things, then it, is it in such a supporting way in health systems so they can focus on those six things? So you have to really know a little bit about what's really going on in healthcare at any given time. And what hasn't really changed regardless of um, COVID or what else is those chronic disease states. In some cases, they've been exasperated because People just aren't 
going into healthcare or their healthcare, you know, rural clinic has been dissolved or uh, they can't get into healthcare or some people are still um, timid about going into healthcare because they might, you know, get a disease or, you know, if we have one more thing happen, you know, between monkeypox and the COVID uh, different variations and stuff. So there's a lot of factors there that aren't going away. Those chronic diseases are there, but how can you either affect those that help the value-based care or support people in a way that they can focus more on value-based care? What are the, you mentioned six things. What are the, what are some of the things you oh, think? Oh, I knew you were going to, when someone right. mentions a number or yeah. a list or something. So <laughs> I'm not going to be able to pull them all out of my hat. We mm -hmm. have this hat thing going, theme going before we got on. Uh, but it's like diabetes, you know, peripheral vascular disease, other cardiac diseases. Um, uh, I, see, this is where I'm going to go. Uh, wonkers, but uh, those are, there's a variety of them. I'll get them all someday and I'll be able to do that. But there's about six of them that are usually professed. A lot of them revolve around anything having to do with, you know, the high blood pressure, stroke, anything that's going to lead to cardiovascular, all those sorts of things. It makes up sort of its own sort of array. Yeah. And then the, the diabetes and what leads to diabetes. And then there's a few others on that list, but uh, it's well-documented. And um, yeah, even to the point of the majority of healthcare dollars are spent on those. We see, we see a ton of companies look in, in or looking to get into remote patient monitoring. And, and I think that's one of those things where, you know, it's all about treating chronic conditions. I was thinking you're going in a different direction, which is to say, if I'm talking, if I'm trying to get Saint somewhere to adopt my my product, I'm going to try and tie it to the things that I know are pain points for them, right? Staffing. I mean, well, let's just let's just be honest and let's acknowledge that like the the PNL for running a hospital system is just brutal. Like it is very very tough. They get their revenue numbers dictated to them by CMS or private payers right? Their cost structure is highly variable. Uh, you have to staff a ton and suppliers can come in and kind of monkey with your, your uh, production costs. And, and then you hope to make two and a half percent on the bottom line. Like that's, that's what it is to be a hospital system. So what I was thinking you were going is to say, if we're going to walk into that environment, let's think through the things that are most painful for them and figure out how do we tie our solution to that. So staffing's an issue. Here's how we help with staffing, um, right? You have a lot of fixed costs that you don't know if they'll be used or not. Here's how we help, so on and so forth. But that, that's where I thought we were going with it. Yeah, I mean, you could get there. By the way, I Googled while we were on so I could, I could <laughs> say this so that yeah. You knew I was going to do something like this, but they actually list the 10 and these are uh, national numbers. So, you know, hypertension, high cholesterol, arthritis, ischemic, uh, coronary heart disease, diabetes, chronic kidney disease, forgot that one, heart failure, 
uh, depression. So we're on to uh, other things, but an, and then Alzheimer's and obstructive pulmonary disease. So they're all, some of them are interrelated in things. So I think you can think about it in both ways, because when you go into a provider organization, you can't go in and say, I know you have a problem with a pulmonary obstructive disease. What you have to go in and say is, I have a product or a service and it addresses this, and then let the provider tell you their story. Mm -hmm. And then you have to be able to articulate how this might uh, improve whole value-based care episode, because it starts way back where the, I call them customers at that point, or consumers, what are they doing? And can we have some sort of you know app for that or wearable or something? so that they're not progressing into that hospital state or whatever. So yeah, both of them can converge. I, I also would suggest that, you know, there's some differences in strategies based on the size of the company. Mm -hmm. if, if you're a Fortune 100 company, you've got some different strategies here than if you're a near startup innovator, right? Because the whole um, scenarios are different and why, Scott, when you were talking with Barbara, I wrote down the word trust, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of what has to happen here early on is there has to be a trust, and it's a two-way trust, really, between the supplier and the system. So, you know, they, everybody's got to trust the information that they're getting is, is accurate, and it's got to be done in a very efficient sort of way. So part of the messaging back to your, your wheelhouse, Scott, is how do you create through alternate channels versus somebody knocking on a door or you know parking a car in a garage and walking in, how do you create that trust in a medium that the stakeholder at the institution wants to hear it or find it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, think, I think that's a great question. And the short answer is trust is built from familiarity and so, um, and, and sort of reliability. So if you think about the people that you trust most, they're probably the people that you know really well. And they're people that do what they say they're going to do. And I mean, that's like, that's one of those things where you're like, of, of course you would do that. But if we actually look at what we're doing on a daily basis, many of us are going to be guilty of that. That, hey, like I say, I'm going to do something. I don't quite come through. Um, I had a I had a woman that we were going to interview for a spot on our team earlier today, very senior level person, right? Professional. This is not an 18 year old kid, completely no show on the interview. And we had been talking and that sort of thing. I mean, like, and I wish I could say that that's an anomaly, but I feel like that's become far more common in our world that people just don't show up. And as crazy as it sounds, I think part of it is just showing up. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be there physically, right? In person, shaking hands, kissing babies, but it can be that phone call that you do just to check in, see how things are going. It can be an email. We were uh, talking with a, a client earlier about uh, sort of uh, trust at scale, if you want to think about it that way. So um, one of the things that I always really appreciate, I think everybody does, is you get a message from somebody, you're not expecting it, and they show that they've been thinking about you. That's always really nice. That, that builds that kind of relationship. Well, there are ways you can go and you can find a, um, 
an article that's related to supply chain or your product category or whatever, and just email it out to a bunch of people, right? Hey, I just saw this article. I thought you might appreciate it. Boom, send it out. It's that sort of frequency you, of- You guys never that... get anything from me, I know. <laughs> Once a week, I'm always saying, oh, look. Yeah. But, but those are the things that make a big difference, right? And, and again, you don't have to, it's not about being in their office and taking up their time because everybody's busy nowadays, but it's those kinds of frequency of touch in meaningful ways that really help to establish yourself as someone they can rely on. Yeah. One other thing I'd add to that, and I'll just, I'm going to really date myself here, but it's so old school, but sometimes even just the handwritten note right yeah. of you know to your point thinking and it's you know nobody gets anything you know snail mail anymore right you know it's like yeah. other than you know bills or you know political uh, advertisements you get something that's handwritten from a, a supplier or a trusted partner or what have you and it's like wow look at that they took the time to actually write mm -hmm. this and put uh, a postage stamp on it so that's mm -hmm. that's another great way to reach uh, in my opinion the end user in a in a much different format yeah and you're right. I mean, good marketing is being where other people aren't and saying things that other people aren't. Mm -hmm. And I know a guy here in St. Louis that is amazing at sending notes. And um, every time they show up, you recognize it and you see it's his name is Greg Atchison. So Greg sends these things out and you get it. And you're like, Greg sent me another note and he'll write them to me or write them to my wife because he happens to know my wife as well. And just checking in nothing businessy. Just, hey, I was thinking about you. I came across this thing. Thought I'd reach out and see how you're doing. And it's, it means something, man. Like it, and you can do it in an hour. You can write how many of those. And even if you have crummy handwriting, like I do, you're sending these things to physicians. They all have bad handwriting anyway. So right. what does it matter? They'll be able to decipher it for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It really establishes a great, we keep calling it relationships. Um, my value analysis colleagues a number of years ago decided we were going to change from the word uh partnerships to relationships because that's what they really are mm -hmm. so what does that do so if we if we kind of play that out let's say we need to reduce our cost of sales we need to get more efficient we're sending out thank you notes we're we're you know shooting out emails whatever what else do we do and how do we go about doing that at scale as a let's just say that we're a, a scrappy young company trying to figure out how to grow in this more challenging environment what does it look like? What are the practical things that somebody could take away from this? I'll lead off. I think it's really some um, analysis on your, your marketing areas, right? Looking at where, where are your sales coming from now and why? How can we thoughtfully increase this? Um, and, and sometimes it's not always the, the big metro centers. Uh, I've, I've had folks tell me that, you know, just reaching out to some of the rural hospitals. You know, I live in Michigan and sometimes, you know, even a phone call to places up in the upper peninsula get great results because nobody's really paying attention to folks in rural areas. So mm -hmm. thinking about how you can create some additional penetration in a really um, smart manner, whether that's through phone calls or video, like you're talking about, Scott, but really doing that deeper dive and, and, and Barbara even touched on uh, uh, the gap analysis too, and really look at where those gaps are and, and how do you make those touches without necessarily putting somebody on an airplane or on a car and, and making that trip. Right. There are ways in which uh, no matter what level you're in a supplier organization, 
there's a lot of free, great information out there on a lot of different websites talking about different cities and the different hospitals mm -hmm. and maybe what they're kind of struggling with and being able to reach out to them you know, in an electronic way, or a, like you said, just to jot a note or uh, try to leave some sort of message. What's the best way? Because everybody's doing all the messaging a little differently. Not everybody has broadband and can do a variety of things, but there's a lot of really good intelligence out there that anybody can get after with a few keystrokes and really sort of channel their product where it really means rather than the scattershot all mm -hmm. the way around. And I liked uh, Tom's thing about metrics. So maybe one podcast we can talk about what are some of the key metrics today versus, you know, what are we seeing and what may be going forward? Yeah, I think it makes sense. Your targeting piece makes a lot of sense. Um, and as do metrics, I think we all kind of drink from the same uh, well when it comes to that. You know, the, the things that I, if I was VP of marketing, VP of sales, chief revenue or commercial officer, whatever the right phrase is for a company, I would make sure we have our targeting right. Um, using tools like, you know, Definitive is out there, uh, which has great data. Um, it's expensive, right? But, you know, it, it has good data. There are other options too. A um, couple of the ones that just to name drop some good companies, right? MedScout and Acuity MD or other tools that are that play in that space from a targeting standpoint. Yeah. Um, so getting that right, because I think to your point, Tom, number one, um, you're, you can grow a lot of business where, where you don't have the same level of competition if you're willing to get outside of the big metro centers. And if we're talking about driving cost of sales down, that requires us to move more digitally, right? Where you can cover the country as efficiently, if not frankly, more efficiently than just picking one particular metro. So th that's that's now available to you. The other thing that you can do is, you know, if you know, I want to go after this location, I want to go after Saint somewhere, I want to talk to the VP of supply chain, um, shoot a video, right? Mm -hmm. Just take time. And um, I'm telling you, like, if you want, if you want an effective marketing tool, right, way to get a good sales call, write this down. Figure out who the person is. It's Steve Johnson at St. Somewhere. Shoot a video, keep it short, two-minute video, and email it to him. Hey, Steve, here's what we're doing. Here's what I thought you might be interested. I'd love to have more time, but I know you're busy. Can we set up some time next week? And just email it to him. And what you'll find is people, number one, they will watch that video because this is so un unusual. Kind of like Tom was saying with handwritten notes. So that's number one. And number two they're going to they're gonna be interested to talk to you because you've shown an interest in them, particularly if you've done your homework, like what Barbara is saying. So those are some of the things I think you can do today to take advantage of this, this new world we're getting into. But Tom, you're going to say something. Um, I was just thinking too, I mean, we're talking about reducing cost and, and when you're targeting and using these metrics, finding ways to even marginally increasing sales, but keeping your costs steady is another way of bringing that using that metrics of percentage your cost of sales will go down as a percentage if you're smart with it yeah i i wholeheartedly agree i know we're getting close to time um so maybe we'll go around the horn and, and get some thoughts barbara any any parting thoughts for the crowd uh 
I, I think we've kind of said a lot of the key points. I think it's a matter of, it'd be interesting. I'm going to challenge the audience. It'd be interesting if someone was listening mm -hmm. and was going through this and actually went through one of these exercises that we asked them to do either a gap analysis and because we're always looking for guests and maybe come on and say how it made a difference or or what did it do for them or what kind of things uh, would be helpful. It'd be exciting to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, what do you think? Um, my parting thought is the word ask. Ask the question of your customer, what could we be doing different to deliver value to you? And number two, if you're in leadership in a, um, a supplier company, ask your sales team, what could we be doing different that could make you more efficient? And uh, I think if you're in leadership, you might be surprised by some of the answers you get. Mm -hmm. Well yeah. said. I, just my, my final thought is, um, if you're gonna go with ask, I'm gonna go with do uh, as, as my one thing. I think it's easy for folks to, for us to like listen in um, and say, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. But, but I think it really comes down to making sure that your rubber meets the road Pick one of these things to get out there. Talk to your sales team. Excellent advice, by the way, right? Mm -hmm. Ask your customers, excellent advice, but do something about it, right? Whenever you're listening to this, you got, you're no more than 72 hours away from a work day. So you have every reason to actually hit the ground. And, uh, and I think you'll be surprised at how easy it is to make progress on this. A nice call to action. Yeah, yeah. right. So, well, unless there's anything else, why don't we wrap on that? So there's your call to action learn, ask, do, and um, we'll meet back here next time for the next podcast. So thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Talk thanks. to you soon. Bye, everybody. Bringing the cost of sales can have many approaches. For legacy products, opportunities can be available at the labor level as your customers are already experienced with your product and don't want to be interrupted as frequently with visits, as long as you're maintaining the relationship. On the provider side, Inpatient and ED visits may be down, but stays are longer and costs are up. So full transparency regarding any price changes are vital to reduce impact for them. Other opportunities such as bundling or changing the quantity per box can reduce the impact or create more value add for the facility and generate ways to help the facility and provider create some efficiency. Tune in next time as we examine meeting the demand for augmented and virtual reality and continue to earn your MBA with the MedTech Business Academy.